Welcome to the Hospital Finance Podcast, your go-to source for information and insights that can help you stay ahead of the challenges impacting healthcare finance. And now, the host of the Hospital Finance Podcast, Kelly Wisness. Hi, this is Kelly Wisness. Welcome back to the award-winning Hospital Finance Podcast. We're pleased to welcome Gregory Fleezar, JD, PhD, Vice Chair of Cozen O'Connor's Healthcare and Life Sciences Practice, with a focus on health law, handling a variety of health law litigation and regulatory and compliance matters for different types of healthcare providers, including hospitals, health systems, hospices, and behavioral health providers. He has significant experience in handling payer-provider reimbursement disputes for healthcare providers. He also has substantial experience with HIPAA and privacy issues in negotiating managed care contracts on behalf of providers. Greg has written and spoken on a number of health law issues, including payer-provider disputes, HIPAA and privacy or confidentiality issues, and the opioid crisis. He is the current vice chair of the Health Law and Policy Coordinating Committee of the ABA's Health Law Section and previously served as the national co-chair for the ABA's Joint Opioid Task Force. Greg was also a clinical psychologist and medical school faculty member prior to entering law school. In this episode, we're going to talk about the unlawful 340B drug underpayments. Thank you for joining us today, Greg. Oh, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Well, let's jump in, shall we? Um, can you tell me about the 340B drug program and what types of hospitals qualify for the program? Sure. I mean, the 340 program um, is, is pretty complex, so I'll try and do this at a more 50,000-foot level rather than uh, go deeply into the weeds. And uh, so basically, you know, in 1992, Congress enacted Section 340B. That's where the 340B drug mon- moniker came from. Section 340B of the Public Health Services Act. And Section 340B requires pharmaceutical companies and, excuse me, pharmaceutical manufacturers to enter into um, an agreement with HHS, the Department of Health and Human Services, in exchange for having their drugs covered under the Medicaid and Medicare programs. And for Medicare, that would be Medicare Part B. And these these agreements are called the Pharmaceutical Pricing Agreement, or, or PPA. So under the PPA, as part of that contract, your manufacturer, the pharmaceutical manufacturer, has to agree to provide front-end discounts on covered outpatient drugs purchased by specific providers, which are called, you know, covered entities. And that's the hospitals that you asked me about. Um, hospitals that participate in the 340B program, it's similar to the DISH program for those of you who do a lot of work in that area, disproportionate share hospitals. And essentially, it's 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 for... It, the whole program was set up for hospitals that serve um, a significant number of uh, low-income and uninsured patients to help them. That's why they wanted to have discounts on the drugs so they could have some you know, extra money to help out these folks, provide other services. That was really the genesis of the program. And so the hospitals that are involved are what they call, I don't call them covered entities, I call them, because that to me is HIPAA land, but um, for the 340B hospitals, these, the typical hospitals are your dish hospitals, um, critical access hospitals, um, rural referral uh, centers, and and children's hospitals. Those are, you know, there's some other uh, ones as well, but that's really the bulk of the 340B hospitals. How are hospitals reimbursed for 340B drugs under original fee-for-service Medicare? All right. Well, you know, that's all defined by statute, actually. Um 
uh, under the Medicare statute. And there's really two options of how HHS, Health and Human Services, can can set these prices. One is if, if HHS has conducted a survey of hospitals' acquisition costs for each outpatient drug, each outpatient drug, not just a few, HHS can set the reimbursement rates based on the hospital's, quote, average acquisition costs for each drug and may vary uh, rates by hospital group. And there's a second option. The second option is absent a survey, HHS must set the uh, reimbursement rates based on the average price or what's called the average sales price charged by the manufacturers for the drug as calculated and adjusted by the secretary. So, you know, for the beginning of the program, HHS has pretty much relied on option two, uh, which is not doing a survey. The surveys apparently are, as I said, it, it has to cover each drug. So the surveys, according to CMS, are just really unduly burdensome for them to do. It's just it's just not feasible. So they really just relied on option two and set the formula because um, there's a statutory formula under option two, which is the lesser of A, the actual charge on the claim for the program benefits, or two, 106% of the average sales price, or what they call the ASP. And really, that's what they've done. It's been ASP plus 6%. That's what the fee-for-service folks are paid. And again, the hospital, the 340B hospital, will get drugs from the pharmaceutical manufacturers at a real you know, good discount. Um, if they're using these drugs for Medicare patients, they can then turn around and bill Medicare, and Medicare will pay the average sale price plus 6%. Um, and that's the way up until... 2018, where the controversies and disputes started, that's how from 1992 all the way through, it was always ASP plus 6%. Very interesting. So how do Medicare Advantage plans typically reimburse hospitals for 340B drugs? Right. And, and as we all know, Medicare Advantage is becoming a, an increasingly large player. More and more Medicare beneficiaries are deciding to join uh, Medicare Advantage plans instead of you know, traditional fee-for-service Medicare. Um, and a lot of the contracts that I've seen, most almost all the contracts that I've seen, uh, really base it on, on CMS. Uh, for example, you know, it may be a large commercial contract and there's uh, an addendum to that contract, which is for managed care, you know, for the managed care component of the plan. And for managed care, they usually list inpatient and outpatient, like a lot of, like most contracts. And for the outpatient, what they typically do is whether it's drugs, whether it's diagnostic, you know, whatever they, it's usually a certain percentage of what CMS pays. Uh, most of the contracts for the, for the drugs I've seen are 100% of CMS, or maybe if they, you know, can get 101% or 102%. But for the most part, what I've seen is 100% of what CMS pays. And again, CMS pays ASP plus 6%. So essentially they're reimbursed at the same rate. So I understand that a few years ago, CMS made some drastic cuts to the 340B drug payments. When did that happen? And can you describe the cuts? And how much did they cost the industry? Yeah, good question. Um, this is really what started people to really start paying attention to 340B drugs um, 
even folks uh, like myself who who do a lot of provider reimbursement litigation didn't really live much in the 340B world. But once these cuts were announced, um, it became a big issue for everyone. Um, most of our hospital clients are 340B hospitals, and this issue hit them pretty hard, as I'll get into in a second. Um, essentially, in 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 the rulemaking for the outpatient uh, for the you know outpatient prospective system for for CMS. In 2017, in their final rule, out of nowhere, they they dropped the rate from ASP plus six percent to ASP minus 22.5 percent. Now it's almost basically a 30 percent discount or reduction. Um, what you know, and their rationale for it was was based on a MedPAC study. MedPAC is the, the Medicare Payment Advisory Committee, and they said, look, I mean, based on these discounts you know, hospitals are getting from the pharmaceutical manufacturers, it's really costing the hospitals only ASP minus 22.5% due to the discount. So in CMS's view or HHS's view, they thought the hospitals were getting some sort of windfall here. Um, So they enacted it, it went through, it started in January 1 of 2018 and the cuts did. They they started that date, especially if it was fee for service, original Medicare, it was ASP minus 22.5% instead of ASP plus 6%. And again, you know, CMS thought that the hospitals were really making money off of this and they didn't like that, but but really sort of undermined their position as this went through the court process, which we'll talk about, is that, you know, when you look at the legislative history, part of the reason, actually one of the major reasons for 340B program to begin with was that it would give hospitals big discounts that they could use. And hospitals would make money off of this and they could put it into other programs, you know, to help low-income patients, to help patients who are uninsured, to develop programs to help the community. That's really what it was for. But but anyway, this these cuts were pretty big. They started in 2018 and it's estimated that it cost um, the industry $1.6 billion a year, um, which is pretty hefty. Um, so that's really over the five years that was there. It's you know that's close to eight to ten billion dollars. That's a lot. That's a lot of money for hospitals, especially 340B hospitals, who don't you know are treating a lot of poor patients and don't have huge margins of you know profit margins. So, um, and it wasn't just fee for service. If you remember, the Medicare Advantage contracts are 100 percent of CMS. So if you had a Medicare Advantage contract, your payments dropped as well. Um, because all of a sudden it was based on what the CMS rate was. And all of a sudden it, you know, it went from 100% of ASP plus 6% to 100% of ASP minus 22.5%. So in a nutshell, that's the reduction. It, it, it started with some rulemaking in 2017, went into effect in um, January 1st of 2018, and kept rolling up until recently which we'll, we'll discuss as we go along. Wow, that is fascinating. That, that is substantial. Uh, did the hospital industry challenge those rate reductions? And if so, what happened with those challenges? Yeah, absolutely. Um, they certainly did. And, and you, you can imagine why, as I said, it, you know, it's, you're talking losses of, you know, one to $2 billion a year. That's, that's huge. Um, so the American Hospital Association, uh, two other hospital industry groups and several hospitals sued HHS um, in the United States District Court for the District of Columbia to challenge the 2018 reimbursement rate change. They they did this in 2018. 
Uh, they also did it in 2019. Those are the two cases that that they brought. And one of the sources of the challenges was that HHS did not conduct a survey. If you remember, there's two options. One is sort of the automatic ASP plus 6%. The other option for setting rates, and this is driven by statute, is that CMS had to conduct that survey where they had to look at the price of every single drug. CMS didn't do that. Um, so that was one of the sources of the challenges that they didn't conduct the survey of the hospital acquisition costs and, and thus couldn't impose different reimbursement rates. And the thing that was interesting is they only, CMS only did it for 340B hospitals. Remember, they, there's a lot of other hospitals out there that aren't 340B hospitals and they didn't change their rates for drugs. They only changed it for the 340B hospitals. So a little bit of an equal protection argument there as well. But essentially what the hospital system argued was, look, the statute says you can only change it with a survey. They didn't do that. And, and you can't discriminate against one group and not the other. Um, so they won in the district court. The hospitals won in the district court. Everybody was very excited. Um, and even I think CMS thought they were going to lose. It looked like there was some rulemaking. There was some in, in, in some of their rulemaking or some of their in the preamble, there was some of their rulemaking. They talked about the court case before it was even decided and said, you know, if it goes the other way, you know, we welcome suggestions for for how we should set the payments and, you know, all, all those types of things. So I think even CMS had a view that maybe, you know, they had overreached a little bit. I'm not speaking for CMS. That's just my own view. Um, but, you know, they, they wanted district court level. CMS appealed. Uh, it went to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit. And, and this really shocked the industry. The D.C. Circuit reversed. And they said that basically HHS, HHS had the discretion to change these drug prices. And again, that I think caught the industry by surprise. I didn't I certainly didn't expect it. The folks I talked to didn't expect it. Um, but, you know, all of a sudden, so at that point, the rates still kept going. And it went all the way up to the Supreme Court, which in July and in June, on June 15th of 22, so just almost exactly a year ago, last June 15th, a unanimous Supreme Court, which is, we all know, almost never happens anymore, a unanimous Supreme Court sided with the hospitals and said, look, CMS, you can't do this. They basically sided with that initial district court opinion. And they said, look, there's it's clear under the statute. You can only change it, you know, for one set of hospitals if you're going to do a survey. You didn't do a survey. You, you, you did this on your own, and you only did it for 340B hospitals. That completely violates the statute, and it is, quote, unquote, unlawful. That was what the uh, they called the action. So the Supreme Court, though, um, I mean, this was great news. Everybody thought this was fantastic, but but that's all it said. It said it was unlawful. It didn't even mention anything about remedies. What happens? Because remember, this is now 2022. This has been going on uh, for nearly five years of all these rate reductions. So these hospitals were still wondering, all right, what comes next? So they, um, the case was remanded from, you know, basically the, the Supreme Court kicked it back down to the district court in D.C. for them to figure out what the remedies would be, how, if any, you know, how hospitals would be made whole, if, if at all, uh, by this. So the, the uh, district court, what they did was they, they bifurcated the remedies. They, the, the, there, was, there was two motions that were filed by the hospital systems. 
The first one was, look, this has been ruled unlawful starting right now. You have to stop this payment reduction, go back to ASP plus 0.6%, and it has to remain at plus 6% from that day going forward. That was the first motion. The second motion dealt with the back damages of damages you know, before the Supreme Court. So the district court, um, in its first ruling, vacated, which means they said, said the rule was just like void is issued, should have never happened, um, vacated the rule from October 28th, or excuse me, September 28th, 2022. That was the date of the district court decision going forward. So what they said was CMS could no longer apply those rate reductions from that date forward. So from October 28th of, of 2022 and going forward, CMS had to go back and revert to the ASP plus uh, 6%. Uh, that was good news. People were very happy about that, but they were all anxiously awaiting what was going to happen um, with the back damages, which is where all the, you know, that's where all the big, the big dollars are. That's because right. that's where the <laughs> hospital, this is four or five years of getting hit exactly. at a 30% reduction, you know? So what the, this is fairly recent in January 10th of this year of, of 2023, the district court essentially punted uh, CMS strongly argued that, you know, the hospital association obviously in the hospital industry obviously argued, look, this is simple. What you need to do to make us whole is pay us the difference between what we should have been paid and what we were actually paid. But CMS said, look, this is too complicated. It's, you know, this is, these are hundreds of millions of claims for year. And this is just on the fee-for-service side we're talking about, not even the Medi you know, Medi Medicare Advantage. Um, it's too complicated. It's hundreds, hundreds of millions of claims per year. Plus, and this is true, CMS under statute has what's called budget neutrality, which means if the, you know, it has to be the, the budget has to be neutral at the end, of, which means if you cut something in one area, you have to increase a price in another area. Um, everything has to sort of equal out at the end. And they said this is very complicated. If you just go back and pay all those hospitals, that's going to blow our budget neutrality. We have to figure out a way to do this. Um, and it seems like in a close call, uh, the district court agreed with CMS. So they remanded it. They kicked it back to CMS. So CMS now has it in their lap um, to come up with a remedy for the back damages. No one knows what that's going to be. Some people um, doubt that it's going to be what the hospital industry really wants, which is the difference in the payments, you know, you paid me ASP minus 22.5%. I should have been paid ASP plus 6%. You owe me the difference for every single drug going back all those four years. A lot of people don't think that's going to happen. Um, some people are estimate are, are guessing that CMS may make some sort of prospective relief where they, they give hospitals, you know, extra money down the road for other programs. But this is all guesswork at this point. And as far as when it's going to come out, um, no one knows. There was a rumor it was going to come out in April. Uh, I always thought that was pretty, you know, I mean, it just got remanded on in, on June, on January 10th. That'd be pretty quick for CMS to come up with a really complex resolution like that. But in a recent, uh, the CMS administrator was speaking to Congress um, about two weeks ago and was actually asked a question by one of the House of Representatives, 
well, what about this remedy for 340B hospitals? We're waiting for it. My hospital, you know, the hospitals in my district are waiting for it. When can we expect it? And the words were, quote unquote, very soon. Not sure what that means. Uh, very soon for you and I could be very different from very soon on CMS's timelines. So we'll have to see. But that's where things I know that's why I call this the long and winding road. Um, it's been up and down and up and down. And but now um, the last piece is the back damages. And we're really just waiting on CMS for for a decision on that. It certainly is a long and winding road, but it's very, a very fascinating one, though. <laughs> um, okay, so there should be some sort of remedy released by CMS shortly. I think you've talked about that a little. Um, how will that affect MA plans? Yeah, that's. I think that's that's the big question for a lot of clients. Obviously, you know, for fee for for the traditional fee for service, it's going to be the remedy is going to be whatever CMS says it is, unless the court, unless there's a challenge to the remedy and the court overturns it and we're back on on that you know court roller coaster again. But say the remedy comes out, um, there's no challenge to it. Uh, the fee for service hospitals just have to take what the remedy is. The MA hospitals are a, a little bit different. Are the M, the MA plans are a little bit different? And um, you know I, I've worked with a lot of health systems that have written a lot of we've written a lot of dispute letters to a lot of a lot of Medicare Advantage plans asking for, you know, these back damages. And it's interesting. At first, typically responses that we get are that the plans say, well, you know, that that court case really applied to fee-for-service. It didn't apply to us. Um, this is a contract between two providers. And even there were, there were some CMS guidance that came out on December 20th um, after of, 20, of 2022 after the first district court case where they said that um, the, the rule was vacated going forward. Um, and, and CMS said that, you know, it really a lot of times goes back to contracts. You know, MAOs that contract with a provider or facility eligible for 340B drugs, they are, they're free to negotiate the terms for whatever they want. And CMS cannot interfere with the terms of that contract. So the way I read that is again, if 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 there's some unusual, I said typically the MA plans will base the payment rates on whatever CMS was. Um, if there's something else where they say we're going to pay you X for this drug or X for that drug, that's probably not going to be affected by this at all. But I think one of the arguments is, and again, so the plans will start off with that, but then they also have said, but like everyone else, we're still waiting to see what the CMS remedy is to see how that affects our contracts. So I think everybody's sort of in limbo trying to figure out what CMS is going to do. But the, again, the, the plans, at least right now, are taking the position that they really don't have to pay this back. So it's, you know, it's, 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 it's very unclear at this point uh, what they're going to do. Yeah, it sounds like it. It sounds like a complicated situation. Uh, so what should hospitals that have 340B underpayments with MA plans be doing to try to recover these losses? Yeah, I think um, if you haven't already, I think hospital systems really should just file, even if it's just a generic dispute letter to the plan, just a, a quick dispute letter to the plan, you don't even have to get into the, the whole contract piece. But just, you know, my view is that most most contracts, most Medicare Advantage contracts, most commercial contracts with hospitals have a certain time period where you have to um, file, you know, file a claim for an underpayment. 
Um, typically, it runs from the date you were paid. So if, if, if hospital X was was paid a certain amount for a certain service, which they thought was too low, under the contract, it might be you have one year from the date of that payment uh, to contest it. Otherwise, you're out of luck. It, it is what it is. Um, but here, my view and a lot of the other folks I deal with, our view is that any sort of statute of limitations concerns should really have started to run from uh, June 15th of 2022. That was the date of uh, the Supreme Court decision. So, and that's coming up close. That's a year. Um, so if I were a plan, uh, excuse me, if I were a hospital, I would try quickly to try and get some dispute letters out the door just to sort of preserve your claim. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen, but you don't want to have to be dealing with statutes of limitation issues, um, you know, after the fact, if you can just just deal with it right now. So my again, the, 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 the clock is ticking as we're you know, sitting here right now on May 12th. And the decision was by the Supreme Court was June 15th of last year. So you've really only got a couple of weeks left. If I were a plan, I would really try and um, get those dispute letters in. You know, they don't have to be perfect. You just need to get it in, explain that you feel that, you know, the rate cuts were based on an unlawful CMS rate adjustment. It shouldn't have happened. And, you know, we should be reimbursed for it. That's a very simplistic view that the letters are usually a little bit more complicated than that. But really, I think you need to, if you're, if you're a hospital, you really need to get your dispute letter out as soon as possible, just to stake and preserve your claim. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense, Greg. Uh, so what challenges have you faced in trying to recover 340B underpayments on behalf of your hospital clients? Right. Well, like I said, you know, we send out a lot of dispute letters and a lot of them come back um, the same. Uh, I haven't seen one yet that says, oh, we'll go ahead and pay you these, these damages. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, every now and then, again, uh, on the fee-for-service side, even though, even though the the court vacated it from uh, uh, September 28th forward for 2022. A lot of the max at the Medicare administrative contractors, they're the ones who control the payment on the fee-for-service side. They've given hospitals the opportunity to resubmit their claims going all the way back to January 1st of 2022. So they can get all of 2022 back and they will pay them the difference. Um, I've, I've heard that there's been maybe one or two plans that have sort of offered the same deal for, just for 2022, but I have, I have yet to hear of any plan saying, you know, we'll go ahead and pay you the difference for the last five years. I haven't heard that yet. Uh, I do think, you know, I, I do think, you know, for, for the reasons I said before, the typical argument they say, the plans argue, which, you know, I, I can understand their argument is, I don't necessarily think it wins at the end of the day, but um, that's just my opinion. But what the plans are saying is, look, um, the contract says what the contract says. It says it's 100% of CMS, uh, and sometimes it even says 100% of the prevailing CMS rate, which means the rate at the time. So basically the plan is saying, look, we paid what was due at the time, there's, so there's no problem. The fact that CMS later changed it, that has nothing to do with us. Uh, we paid what was due at the time of the at the time the bill was filed. That's their position. Um, they they're sticking pretty hard to it. But um, so that's been one of the the hard pieces to deal with. Um, another one, and again, I I think 
for that, my answer to that is, well, you know, this is a little bit different. Um, yes, you did pay what was due under the contract, uh, but the rate that that was based on has been ruled to be unlawful. Uh, I think that's a very different situation than just, you know, the, I think I think that the argument the plans have maybe oversimplified a bit due to the fact that the rate that they paid was based on something that's been ruled to have been unlawful. Uh, my analogy to that is, you know, we, we had, I'm from Philadelphia a long time ago, there was a guy by the name of Joey Coyle who uh, was driving home from work one day in South Philadelphia and a Brinks truck in front of him apparently didn't lock their back doors, hit a pothole and, and just bags of money came flying out. He grabbed all the money and held on to it. Uh, he he got arrested, and, and his defense was essentially something similar to the plan, saying, "Well, you know, hey, I found it. Um, it's mine. There was there was no prohibition against it when I picked it up off the street." Um, but he knew, and that's what the court said. You knew it didn't belong to you, and I think that's one of the things here. Um, I think the plans have to deal with the fact that, yeah, they paid what the rate was, but that rate should have never happened. That rate is an unlawful rate that it was based on. So that's one thing. I think another roadblock or challenge um, that we're facing is many plans have, especially in their fee schedules, where it says 100% of CMS, they will explain how like mid-year changes work. Because oftentimes, for all kinds of rates, for all kinds of services, CMS may tweak them or adjust the payment rates throughout the year. And a lot of um, contracts may say, for example, that we'll make mid-year adjustments and then within a certain amount of time, you know, if CMS makes a mid-year adjustment or an adjustment throughout the, the year, uh, we have a certain amount of time to put that and load it into our system and then we'll start paying what CMS does. Uh, some plans have things in there that say, however, we won't pay anything retroactively. Um, so that's another roadblock uh, that you have to look at and you have to really look at the whole contract and see how everything fits in and read it in context. But I think that's another, you know, bump in the road for hospitals that have those types of contracts. Yeah, no, I love that story and and it's a great analogy. Thank you. And, and thanks so much for joining us today, Greg, and for sharing all of this very valuable information. Oh, sure. I. Anytime, Kelly. I enjoyed the conversation. Yes, me too. And if a listener wants to learn more or contact you to discuss this topic further, how best can they do that? Sure. Um, best way is email, like all of us, I'm sure. Um, but uh, my email is G as in Greg, F as in Frank, L as in Lion, I as in Ice, S as in Sam, Z as in Zebra, A as in Apple, and R as in Red, at cozen.com. That's C-O-Z-E-N.com. I just spelled it because I have a, a very goofy sort of last name. No, thank you. Appreciate that. And thank you all for joining us for this episode of the Hospital Finance Podcast. Until next time. This concludes our episode of the Hospital Finance Podcast. For show notes and additional resources to help protect and optimize revenue at your hospital, visit Bessler.com forward slash podcasts. The Hospital Finance Podcast is a production of Bessler. Smart about revenue, tenacious about results.